0: Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Notable Peeps Podcast, a series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming true. Hello, Whitney. Hey, some Hey, so I'm excited to have you. So Whitney's been my little like concert buddy for a few years and we've done so many fun things. <laughs> one of the things that I love about you is you're always game to go to stuff and you're always like, hey, have you heard about this or that? And you're the one that introduced me to Andy Grammer. So I'm grateful for that.
1: But- oh yeah. Andy Grammer. Yeah. Yep. That was our
0: wasn't that our first concert? Um, no, I think Dashboard was our first concert. Oh yeah, so yeah, that's right. That was it. <laughs> um, but so, wait, tell me about what are some of your proudest accomplishments that you've had in life? Looking
1: back on it, I think my proudest accomplishment would be earning my degree for Northwestern University in Integrated Marketing Communications, my master's degree, and that was probably. When you also talk about what was the most challenging, that was probably also the most challenging thing, so, to dive into something like that. I mean, I had a, I went to uh, Utah State University and for my undergraduate degree. Go Aggies. And, yes, go Aggies. <laughs> and while we're on the subject of Aggies, it should be noted in oh, my yes, biography. Oh, yes, yes, your
0: claim to fame. <laughs> Let's please talk about this. My
1: claim to fame. <laughs> My, my family is sick like of hearing about this, but <laughs> they get embarrassed when I tell the story. But the truth is, I am the inventor of Aggie ice cream's best-selling flavor, Aggie Blue Mint. I always ask people, what's your favorite flavor of Aggie ice cream? And a lot of people like Aggie Blue Mint. And the story is, I was working at Utah State University back, um, right after I graduated, I was working in that public relations and marketing department. And I was helping with the rebranding of Aggie Ice Cream, the the dairy on campus. And we redid the the look and feel of the store and the the packaging and all of that. And I decided that we wanted to get students involved. So I created, (laughs) I came up with this idea of doing a Create Your Own Flavor contest and this is back in the day before social media, if anyone can remember that. So <laughs> actually <laughs> it sounds it was a lot more novel back and groundbreaking. We hosted this contest where students could submit a recipe for their, their creation of this new flavor. So you could say something like Chocolate ice cream with rainbow sprinkles and walnuts and whatever you wanted, any kind of flavor. Um, recipe that you wanted so after students submitted that and we did this on handwritten papers that we passed out at the hub in the student center <laughs> and then it <laughs> sounds so old-fashioned but i collected these and we submitted i submitted all of them to the the producers of the of aggie ice cream the dairy scientists they're called and they looked them over and came up with some they thought would would do well and ones that were viable to produce from a recipe kind of standpoint. So after we narrowed it down to the top four or five flavors, we had uh, the Iggy Ice Cream production team created batches of these flavors and we had a taste testing across campus and students could vote for their top, for their favorite flavor of these four or five. And so the winner was blue mint ice cream with white chocolate chunks and dark chocolate chips. And so the student was really excited. They want a free year supply of Aggie ice cream, plus they got to have this flavor. The flavor was great, but that student, you had to kind of write in a name, and the name of the ice cream wasn't, wasn't quite working. So I came up with the name Aggie Blue Mint, and was, like I said, it's now the best-selling flavor of Aggie ice cream. And the other day, I was up in Logan for Homecoming, and I ran into the director of the dairy or the ice cream production program up there, who's been there for years. And I saw him, and we were talking, and of course, I mentioned this, and he remembered me from there. And he said, yeah, Aguette's Crew is not only our best-selling flavor, but it accounts for 20% of our gross profit." Dang. (laughs) I know. Now I have to brag about it even more. But if there's one thing people should remember about me, it's that I invented slash named the best selling flavor of Aggie ice cream. So,
0: yeah. I think that is a I great know. claim to fame. <laughs> well, and I, I think that just shows a little bit how you are such a marketing guru because at Utah State, what was your what did you study for your undergrad?
1: Journalism and communications with an emphasis in PR. Okay. And then I worked I worked at Utah State for a few years after that, about five years and in the public relations and marketing department and got to do all kinds of fun things. And then after that, I decided I needed to to move on. I could have stayed in Logan forever and it would have been a great experience, but I felt like I needed to kind of step outside of my comfort zone. So I applied to Northwestern University's Integrated Marketing Communications Program to earn my master's degree. And that, it was a difficult program. Like, I don't even know how I got in. My I, I was working full-time, studied for the GRE in like a week because I found out about the program. It was something I was really interested in So it was a master's degree but focused on marketing because I knew that's what I wanted to do. An MBA wasn't the right path for me. So I found out about this program at a great university. It, it matched my needs, and but the deadline was like a week away. So I studied for the GRE in a week and I knew that there was no hope on the math side. So I just forgot about that. I knew that was just crossing my fingers. And then I studied on answering the more, uh, the qualitative questions and the writing questions and somehow managed to pass that and get who knows what score but that's <laughs> what had to be done but <laughs> in a week that's impressive in a week <laughs> while working full-time my application essay I wrote it I wrote it about legally blonde and Elwoods Woods and applying to to Harvard and and related my life to elwood. So, <laughs> wait, how did you relate how, your life to elwood? I don't remember. It was, it was at the time it was a really good piece of writing. Like I remember looking back and thinking, wow, that really knocked it out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> I look back now, I'm like, how does I get in with that piece of writing? It must have been the Elwoods angle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, you and I are both blondes, it. both smart, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So, and so then you went to Northwestern and tell us a little bit about your experience there.
1: Yeah, it was, a like I said, a very difficult program coming from Utah State where I did have a good education, but this kind of took it to the, the next level for sure. My classmates had all come from uh, Cornell and Georgia, Washington, and a lot of prestigious uh, universities, and here I am, this white LDS girl from Utah, having gone to Utah State, and I did have a unique experience, when it was great to meet lots of different people from around the country and around the world but it was really hard it was definitely the most challenging experience and kind of coming from this this background where I was in PR but not necessarily business but so that was that and still I look back and think that was probably my greatest challenge the hardest thing at least professionally that I've ever done, and my proudest accompli- accomplishment because I, I stuck it out, I made it through. I have lots of great friends who supported me, and made it through graduate level statistics, even though I hadn't taken math <laughs> since high school. Amen. So I had, I had a lot of like good tutors, and but stuck it out, made it through. Had a lot of a lot of experiences and I was also able to contribute I feel like because I'd had five years of work work experience that that helped but definitely proud of of sticking it out when it was really hard and at the same time taking on it a new challenge
0: and how do you feel like your experience there like helped you later on in your career
1: well, there was a point where I thought, you know what, maybe I should just get out before I get in too deep because I, I did take out student loans and I thought, well, do I just cut my losses now and move on? But I thought, no, if you're in, you're in and won't earn this degree. So I felt like that persistence and the ability to know that I can do hard things has helped me has helped me going forward in my life. But that was that was academically and professionally the hardest experience, I would say. And, and knowing that I can do those hard things and persist and keep moving forward has helped has helped me further on in my career.
0: Where did you go career wise after school?
1: So after I graduated, that was in two thousand eight, which was a very t- a very bad time to graduate mm-hmm. um, because it was at the bottom of the recession. So I get I earn my degree. I come out of this. Ultra prepared with this, a degree, really relevant degree from a top-tier university, and there are just no jobs to be had. And I was overqualified for all the jobs I was applying for, and wasn't even getting those. But I was able to pick up some freelance work and and get by. And when I was at school, I thought I kind of learned about more opportunities and more career fields, and I thought oh, I want to go into advertising. So kind of at, the, at this high-end advertising, like big city agency. And I, uh, in the program, I had an opportunity to do an internship at in a downtown Chicago ad agency. And I, I learned, you know what, this isn't for me. This, it's not kind of what I thought. I, I enjoyed the experience and learned a lot. But it was a good learning experience to find out this isn't the path I wanted to continue on. And so, I'm, I'm glad I, I learned that and found myself back in Utah, and with this higher education experience under my belt, and now with this new degree, and made it through the that, that bottom of the recession, and ended up getting a job at Utah Valley University as the as a marketing specialist for the College of Business at UVU. So I was there, that was definitely, I was overqualified for that position. It was almost what I was doing before my graduate degree, before I earned that. But I was there for about a year, and then another opportunity opened up at UVU. It was the Director of Public Relations and Marketing at the university, kind of a university-wide level. So I got that position, and it was it was a great experience. I was able to do everything from from PR, crisis management, media relations. As I oversaw employees who ran social media accounts, and I was also doing new things like uh, media buying, ad buying, strategic planning. Uh, that really where I did use a lot of the skills that I acquired at at Northwestern. So that was a great track for me to, me to be on. And one of the one of the key points that I remember there is I had this moment where I'm on a call with PR and marketing directors from all the other institutions in the state, including Utah State. And one of my mentors at Utah State who was in the same level I was at was on the call and I thought, wow, this is really cool that I have progressed to be at the same level as my mentor, as my former or current mentor. And that was kind of an achievement and a moment for me where I thought I've made progress, I've come to where where I want to be and that was kind of a, a successful feeling for me. After I left UVU, I decided I, I still really liked, um, I liked academics and higher education, but wanted to pivot my career a little bit. Um, so I took a position at Salt Lake Community College on the faculty side of things. So currently I'm an assistant professor of marketing at Salt Lake Community College. There I have an opportunity to work more directly with students, very hands-on, and I found that I really do I enjoy that and I enjoy uh, the connection of talking to students about my my experiences in marketing and and helping them navigate their career path. So it's been really fun. Plus, the schedule is really great and flexible. You have these, like, two-week breaks in fall and spring, and then summers are, are kind of optional. You can teach if you want to. And so that's led me to be able to travel a lot exciting experiences that I wouldn't have had I stuck to my, my nine-to-five kind of job yeah. in, in administration.
0: Well, and around the time that you switched jobs is when we met, and I've always admired your little pivot in, in life because you talked about, you know, your role at UVU being over this budget. You're like, everyone wants to talk to you when you have <laughs> control over a budget. You have all these friends that come out of the woodworks but that was a very stressful position but I, I just thought that was cool that you were like you decided okay i want something that's a little that can allow me some freedom but still do what i want
1: yeah absolutely working in that at that level of higher ed, higher ed administration i love that part too because you were right in the middle of everything You knew, especially being in PR, you knew what was going on behind the scenes. I had a pretty significant ad budget to work with, and my work was I could see my commercials on TV. I could see social media campaigns, billboards. It was pretty cool to be able to say I was behind the scenes in producing this commercial, or that billboard, I I helped work on that. And, yeah, I had media vendors calling me all the time, free tickets, and the perks that come with that with that job and kind of the respect and working directly with higher ed administration including the president but after a while it just had kind of run its course and I was seeing new opportunities where I wanted to make a shift and this position at Salt Lake Community College opened up and it was a very different switch I was going from a four-year institution to a two-year institution And taking a pay cut in the process, but gaining this quality of life. And looking back, I'm so glad I made that decision. It was going out on a limb. And it it definitely was a step down in terms of prestige and that sort of thing. When I go to networking events now, I don't have this business card that says director of PR marketing at a four-year institution. It's as assistant professor at a community college, and I don't get that same level of interest, or people don't look at me and say, "Oh, there might be a budget behind you." <laughs> Let's like, wine and dine you. Which I would do the same thing if I were in sales. I'm not. I'm not that type of client anymore. So, but then I think, look what look what I get to do. I have a lot more flexibility. I get to work directly with students, and. So there are trade-offs. But I feel like in this case, it was the right decision for me. And I'm very happy that I made that decision. Well,
0: and you make these classes so much fun. Like you have one class that you bring in all these different entrepreneurs to talk to your mm-hmm. students. I love hearing what you're teaching your students because it's always fascinating to me. And so I love that, you know, it might have been not as a prestigious title or you don't have people that are like, oh, she might have a budget behind her. But you made that shift to do something that gives you that quality of life a little bit more.
1: Yeah, it is fun and I I try and make it really as real world as possible with my students and I share a lot of experiences of what it's really like. I'll teach the theory and about strategic planning and or a rebranding campaign and or market research and I say these are the steps but let me tell you how it really goes you don't always have time to do the post analysis of a campaign but here's what you should do and then give, give examples of of my career and how, how I work through some of those challenges and the realities of a career in marketing. And I do get to, I produce the Business Leaders Forum where I do have the opportunity to bring in entrepreneurs and business executives from around the community to speak to students and that's a fun way for me to, Keep in touch with the private sector and, and helping my students gain these contacts for them in the future.
0: So, Whit, I'm surprised that when I asked you about your proudest achievements, you didn't mention this award that you received.
1: Yeah. Um, one of the, the proud moments in my career where I could look back and reflect on some of the success that I've had was when I received the 40 Under 40 Award from Utah Business Magazine. And that was kind of at the end of my career at UVU. It was really exciting to be recognized like that and to see myself among these great leaders, business leaders in Utah. And that was fun to have the photo shoot and and be in the magazine and go to the reception at Grand America. Just, that was a fun, kind of proud moment in my career.
0: Yeah, no, that's a huge achievement. That's awesome. So I got to do the photo shoot and I got a new dress, <laughs> you know, you have to have a new
1: dress for those kind of things. Yes.
0: <laughs> so in addition to, you know, these achievements and challenges with your career and academics, um, you've also had some me- medical challenges. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. I I try not to focus on that too much, but it is definitely a part of who i am and and my journey i know you never talk about it but i'm just like that's why i'm so impressed because it's like you are such a
0: tough cookie
1: well i feel like it just kind of is what it is and it's there and there's no other option but to just go through it and and get over it i was diagnosed with epilepsy back when i was in my early teens and so I've had epilepsy my whole life and that has presented some challenges. I'm not able to drive and so that makes things more difficult especially in like social situations not being able to go to like drive yourself to a party or something but not being able to drive has been has been a challenge but it's just been a thing that I've had to work around and it is what it is so you just get it done and move forward. Uh, I have had Three brain surgeries now. I, when I was in my twenties, I had a brain surgery where, after lots of diagnostic tests and time in the hospital, and things like being hooked up to an EEG machine with electrodes with electrodes on my brain for for a week at a time, they determined that it was safe to remove a small part of my brain where that where they could. That they could identify where the seizures are coming from. So after they were able to make that, make that location pretty clear, they went in and just removed that piece of brain. And the idea was to stop the seizures because they could find that malfunctioning piece of brain. So my first surgery was at UCLA, and we're pretty hopeful about that. And for a year after that surgery, and it's pretty intense. I mean, brain surgery is pretty intense, but it is what it is. Um, So after that first surgery at UCLA, I saw an improvement in seizure activity for about a year, I was seizure free. And then after about a year, the effects started to wear off, which is a bummer because that type of surgery is really set up to be a cure. It's kind of, it's the root cause. So after a year, seizures came back and after another maybe five or 10 years, the seizures were to a point where we thought maybe we can try this again and go in and retest and look at if we got everything that we needed to, or if there, if we need to expand the area of the brain that needs to be removed to stop these to stop this irregular elect- electrical activity from happening. So I had the second second brain surgery done, and same thing. It was it was good for about a year, and then seizures slowly started coming back and so that was that's disappointing I remember the moment after a year you kind of start feeling comfortable like okay things have been going well maybe I could start thinking about driving you don't want to get your hopes up too much mm-hmm. but at the same time being optimistic wait so have uh, you that. driven as a teen yeah I drove until I was like 21 oh okay and maybe those last few years, it you know, probably wasn't a good idea, but I still had a, a driver's license, and, but there was a point where I could see, I've been in a couple small accidents where I like bumped into a tree, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was Actually, you know, I'm like, okay, it's probably not a good idea, but there was a time when after one small accident into a telephone pole. I just (laughs) had to kind of come to this. (laughs) There was one telephone pole and there was one tree. So I thought, this isn't good anymore. And so that day that I had to, I turned in my car and that was kind of a rough day to realize that this is just not good. I have to figure out a different way to get around. This was in the days before Uber and where transportation was a little easier. Which,
0: and also can I say that you were always very classy, like you always look super classy, and so not that the bus wouldn't be your jam, but it's just not as...
1: Public transportation in Utah is pretty tricky because it goes north-south, and buses, they just take forever. It's so, it just takes so long. So fortunately, I was working at UVU, and I could walk to work because I live really close to the university. And so I didn't have to rely on public transportation too often. That was one one benefit of of working there is is working within walking distance. But yeah, taking the bus is not fun and it's cold in the winter and it takes a long time. So I just tried to be creative and and come up with other workarounds. I, I like to be independent. And even though my friends are always really great and happy to help, it's it, It's a little humbling to have to to ask for help. And it's a little it's a little embarrassing and hard for me to ask kind of every time. but I have to just get over that and and figure out a way to get a ride
0: Any time I've hung out with you and I've known like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go get wit. It's not like I'm like, oh, I have to go get wit. You know, like it's it's not a big deal, you know, but like I can see how it could be hard to be asking for rights and how you said that it's a little bit of hum, a little bit humbling
1: i don't know if humbling is the right word it, it's i don't want to be a burden and i don't want anyone to feel like oh if we invite her somewhere someone's gonna have to go pick her up and and maybe she, she's kind of a, an extra burden i don't like being a burden or that person that always needs something so i try to i try to stay independent but i'm certainly appreciative of friends that are willing to help out and and pick me up. It really, it makes such a difference. And when I have friends that are that are so happy to do it, it does, it really just makes my life so much easier and fun. And, and I appreciate those friends and family that do that.
0: Yeah, so I can imagine. So, okay, wait. So going back to your first brain surgery, like how you said okay. that it was supposed to be the cure, and a year later, so you were a little disappointed.
1: Yeah, so the first surgery, both, I had to what they call resections where they remove that piece of brain. And that really is the objective of of those surgeries is to remove the piece of brain that's causing the irregular electrical activity. And that should solve the problem. And that's the great thing about having a resection operation is it's, it's a cure. It's go for the gold hundred percent. Let's get this thing done. And, and so those, that was a little disappointing, but, and there was like a moment where I was really sad about it, because it is a letdown, because you've gone through all this testing, a lot of time in the hospital, and and just being hopeful. But I had a, had this, this seizure after about a year, and then I could see that things weren't going down the right path. So after the, the last surgery wasn't successful, about a couple of years went by, and there, there are new options that are out there because of technology and and the advancement of technology. One of those is it's called NeuroPace and it's a device that's implanted in your head and it's a little computer about the size of like a deck of cards, maybe smaller than that uh, and thinner. But what it does is they put it in your head and they, so they open your head, they attach it to your skull. It's right on the brain. It has two electrodes that are right on the brain, and what it does is record all your brain activity twenty four seven. So it's like having a continual EEG monitoring system. And then every night you download the information into that has been collected in the NeuroPace in your head to a laptop, and so you you sit with this wand they call it up against your skull it downloads the information from the computer inside your head to a laptop and then you upload the information from the laptop to a server that your doctor has access to and the great thing is your doctor can see every bit of electrical activity that's gone on in your in your brain and it's so you're relying on hard facts instead of just describing your seizures to your doctor they can see exactly what's going on and once they have a baseline of what's happening in your brain they turn they turn the device on and what it does is it's it's learned when you're going to have a seizure by the electrical activity and then literally milliseconds before you have a seizure it sends out a pulse of electricity to stop that seizure before you even feel it. And as time goes on, the, the device learns more and more how to anticipate those seizures and send out that little pulse of electricity sooner and more accurately. And so the success rate keeps improving over time. But really, it's, I have a little computer in my head. <laughs> yeah, I'm like
0: so impressed with technology. Does that give you a headache
1: at all? No, it's great. This is... Having this neuropathic implanted in my head was the easiest brain surgery I've ever had. Probably because they're not removing anything from your body. Mm -hmm. But you can't feel it. There's no side effects. You would never know. I have a scar on my brain. Uh, Not not my brain, but on my skull. But they just use the same scar. And they just had to shave a tiny little bit of hair. For this surgery, my first surgery, they shaved half my head, which I realize now was not necessary at all. Yeah,
0: (laughs) we just half half your head had hair and half your head didn't. Yeah, (laughs)
1: bad look. Yeah, (laughs) 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 this is very bad. So that's nice that they just shaped a
0: little bit that needed to this time.
1: Yeah, right, and that's what could have been done, but. I guess at UCLA they go f- they go for the dramatic makeover and shave <laughs> off your head.
0: <laughs> so you had just had this done. So does that give you hope that, like, when they turn it on, that you'll be able to start seeing a difference?
1: Well, with this procedure and device, the goal isn't 100% cure. The research shows that a lot of patients see a 60% decrease. In, their, in the number of seizures. So, that's one thing where I was a little more reluctant to have this surgery because while it is less invasive, even though it's a brain surgery, your goal isn't a cure, it's just a reduction in the number and severity of seizures. Ironically, right now, even though they haven't taken out any parts of my brain, they just have this implant, it's still gathering data because I haven't had any major seizures. So there's not enough data to assess how to program the machine. So I am anticipating, though, that the seizures will will return, and that we will turn on the device and help control seizures that way. It's just kind of crazy right now that they haven't had any major seizures. Yeah, so I don't anticipate that staying that's being the case long term. But it is it is nice to to have that implanted and being able to better control those seizures.
0: Well, and with like hearing, because this is like the most detailed that I've ever heard about your history, your medical history with things and hearing mm-hmm. that like, I really am impressed just your positive attitude that like, brain surgery that is a big deal, you know? <laughs> when I talk to you before, you're like, yeah, it just makes you really tired, you know? You could be like a bitter Betty where you're just like, what the heck? Why can't I drive? Why do I keep on having these seizures? But I just think that that's an example that you you have this that you can't control, but you can't control your attitude. And so this isn't even really a part of you, you know? Like, it's just like, it is what it is, but I'm not going to let that get me down.
1: Yeah, I feel like life presents these circumstances and these challenges in your path. And you can either look at those and fret over it and be discouraged. Or you can say, all right, that's a circumstance Here's the obstacle. How are we going to overcome that? How are we going to deal with it? Let's move on because there's nothing to be done. So what are the next steps? How do we move forward? And how do we just make the best of the situation? There's nothing that can be done about this situation. So how, how do we move forward? How do we be proactive? And let's, let's just keep going.
0: I, I just was like thinking about how what you just said can be applied to right now with the this mm-hmm. COVID-19 crisis that's going around and really the thing that we can't control is our mindset
1: yeah and it is hard I don't want to downplay it and say that these challenges that that are presented to us are not easy and right now I think having a positive attitude and looking at, at the bright side or just looking at the good things and focusing on that instead of negativity I don't know about you Steph but I can only watch so much news. Oh yeah. And right. have to make an effort to, to not watch it, not read it, because it, it it can get overwhelming when all you talk about and all you read or listen to are these dire predictions. And and I'm not downplaying that, but I think for mental health you have to cut that off and choose to focus on other things or positive things. I
0: agree because It's just interesting how, because that's no one really has anything exciting going on in their life, like it's the topic that everyone talks about, you know? But when Mm -hmm. your day is filled with negative conversations about it, it really does wear. So I've been trying to research new topics every day, so I'll have new talking (laughs) points, something new to talk about.
1: I don't think you can focus on it. The more you focus on it, I think the worse the worse it gets and it it builds into something, it snowballs into something that's bigger and bigger and all-consuming. And you can just only think about it so much. Not to say that you shouldn't be prepared and proactive and doing things that can be controlled, but not not focusing on the things that are out of your control. I
0: don't know, and just reflecting about everything that you've talked about, I'm like, it is cool that that's exactly what you've done with your life you aren't like being like well why can't I drive or like when will these seizures go and I'm sure you have those moments but like oh yeah I've been your friend for a bit you know like and I don't feel like that's really a topic of discussion and I, I don't know I admire that about you
1: well thanks Seth. but there aren't a bad days and there are those moments that are frustrating but again, I think, well, what can we do about this? Well, we can either feel sad or we can just move forward, call someone for a ride, figure out a different way to get around this obstacle, because that's really our choice is be sad and wallow in it or pick yourself and move forward. Yeah. Or just don't worry about it. Just don't think about it. <laughs> just think about something else. <laughs>
0: one of your greatest challenges was when you were at Northwestern and you're like, can I do this? And I think that education is oftentimes an area that people struggle with and even like struggling to be like, is it even worth it to pay money to go to this university? What if I flunk out or can I like afford it or whatever? But what's your advice to someone that maybe their education right now is a stumbling block and maybe they feel like that's impossible. Like what's your, your advice to them to help them achieve it?
1: Well, I've been working in education for most of my career, and honestly, I have never met someone who says I wish I didn't get that degree. Everyone I've met is so glad that they took the time and that they invested in themselves to earn that degree. I have met a lot of people who who have come back to school after after a long period of time where they've stepped out of school to raise a family or to work and are now coming back in to earn their degree. And all of those students say, I wish I'd just gotten it done earlier. I wish I'd made the commitment. I would have been making more money. I would have had a more secure financial future. And I really admire those people who come back from, who come back from the workforce or or wherever to dive in again and and achieve that goal, it does pay off. The sooner that you get through your earning your degree, the more money you're gonna be making in the workforce. And I, I would encourage everyone to get as much education as you can. I don't think you'll ever regret it. Even if you end up getting a degree and working in a different field, those experiences that you have and the knowledge that you gain, even if you take a biology class or you take a history class, it it creates you as an educated person, a well-rounded, educated person who can talk intelligently with other people and learning things throughout your life. I don't think getting more education is ever a waste of time or a waste of money. That's why I do think you need to be smart about about how you want to earn that degree or acquire your education Not everyone needs a more selective school to to pursue their career goals. Some people, um, vocational training is a great way to go. Some people earning a two-year degree will be most beneficial or earning a four-year degree. You just have to figure out what type of education will best meet your career goals and life goals. What do you see yourself being like in the future and what education do you need to help you get there?
0: I was just hearing you talk, and I'm like, man, you just don't, like, have a way of with words. I remember when I first met you, I was like, because you just dress so classy, and I was like, you look like a senator's wife. And then I was like, that's super <laughs> sexist. You look like a senator. <laughs> like,
1: yes. <laughs> but, but well, my minor at Utah State was was political science, and I did do an internship in, in D.C. for Senator is office for Senator Haft's office. And that always has... I've always liked that whole Washington DC thing and the idea of becoming like a senator or senator's wife (laughs) and of course legally legally blonde too like she goes to Washington (laughs) so when you said that I love that that compliment I went home and told some other friends about that I loved it that you said that yeah but
0: then I was like so like mortified afterwards I was like why did I say senator's wife and not a senator like why is that a into to me <laughs> so.
1: was not offended it's the same look it's senator's <laughs> wife, senator same thing yeah it's the political the political classy washington <laughs> dc look
0: <laughs> well really quick i just wanted to say another thing that i admire about you is that you like love exploring places and even if 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 people can't go you're like okay I'm going by myself and so you've been to Europe all by yourself like how many different places have you been to by yourself?
1: Well, that's the great thing about this job is I have had a lot more flexibility in my schedule to go explore different places, and not everyone has that flexibility. I wouldn't have had if I'd been in my other job, and so I can't find people all the time that want to that have a week or two to go explore Europe. Yeah, when well, you have so spring either- break
0: off, like the rest of us are like, uh. <laughs> yeah, still catching up on my PTO for the year. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Right. And I just if I don't go by myself, then I'm not going to go. So I, I have been to, to London, Scotland, Ireland, Italy, um, and most recently to the Netherlands and Belgium. And all of those trips have been solo trips. Oh, in France, um, and Paris, that whole, that whole thing. So, They've been great. I love it. I love planning the trips, and I have found that the more detailed you can plan the trips as a solo traveler, the better off you'll be because you can always diverge from your plans, but you're never wasting time in a city wondering what's next or how to get there, what should I do? But traveling solo is fantastic. I I love it, being able to do whatever I want or exploring places and being able to shop and get some gelato if I feel like gelato or get a golden waffle or go early to see the Eiffel Tower or sleep in a little bit more. It is a fun adventure to get out and explore things by yourself. Of course, there are moments when when I'm sitting by the Eiffel Tower and think, oh, this would be really great if someone was sitting next to me or (laughs) this is such a fantastic museum. I'd really like to talk about the David and Michelangelo's beautiful artwork with someone else, but oh well. (laughs) But I'm really glad I'm here and not just wishing I was here. Um, Recently, I planned a couple trips. I have a trip planned to Spain, and I was supposed to leave on May 5th, but because Mm -hmm. of COVID-19, that's not happening. That was going to be a two-week trip all over Spain, and that's been tricky. I mean, I'm certainly grateful that it hasn't impacted me any more than not being able to go on a trip to Spain, but it's still disappointing when I had the time blocked out and the trip was planned and the plane ticket was booked and, and everything, So, but still, I'm grateful that I can do that trip another time and I also have a ticket I try to get really good deals on tickets and then go ever go wherever I can get a good deal on a ticket so I had another I actually have a ticket booked to Italy in the end of August so we'll see how that goes but but I would recommend traveling solo to anyone it's a great adventure great experience you get to know a lot about yourself you can always book other tours with like smaller tours of, of the Tuscan countryside. I like doing that or the Cotswolds in England to interact with other people. But traveling solo is a really fun thing to do and I would highly recommend it.
0: Well, I'm, just when you're talking about you could get gelato whenever you want, when I went to Spain with my brother, I would be like, can we get gelato again? He's like, we've already had it once. I'm like, yeah, but we're in Spain. I want it for dinner. You know? And so, right. so that is a good point that you can have whatever you want. But can you share the story about when you were in France
1: and a not so positive experience? <laughs> The one thing about traveling solo is it takes a lot of energy because you're in a foreign country. A lot of times you don't speak the language, and you have to catch a train at a certain time, and you're trying to read the sign in in French and and recalculate the time from the twenty four hour clock to to your standard time by subtracting twelve. And figuring all this out, and you don't have someone to turn to, and say, "Hey, is this the right train? Are we going the right direction?" And it, it's kind of chaotic and confusing. So, and it just takes a lot of a lot of effort. So, the first time I went to France, um, that was the first time I'd been in a and in, in Europe in a non-English speaking country, and it's hard. I was trying to get to uh, from Versailles back to back to Paris and I missed one train and I had been there about four days on my own figuring out French and the whole stress of travel and I ended up getting on a train um, after a long day at Versailles, getting on a train going back to Paris and I overshot Paris somehow and so I'm kind of like several stops outside of Paris and I get off and like Oh my gosh! I better get off because I don't know where I'm heading. Just further and further away from the city. So I get off the train, and I'm at this kind of regular suburban area where everything's in French because no tourists go there. And I get off the train, very stressed out, and there's a woman there who who doesn't speak any any English, and. And I'm running out of tickets. You have to have individual tickets for each. And they're paper tickets. It's not like you buy a whole bath. Um, and you, I got off the train there. She was so helpful. We're like gesturing and mm-hmm. where to go. And I can't... I don't have a ticket, so... Um, she has to, like, help me hop the turnstile to get back across uh, into the train. And she, she gets me on the right train. And I was so grateful to her. I just gave her this hug. because. <laughs> and the French people, they're not warm like that. Mm-hmm. So this hug kind of caught her off guard. But I didn't know how to express my gratitude. So I got back to the metro from the train. And it was just a stressful day. <laughs> So I am finally on the metro. I was out of tickets, and so the people who patrol the metro, they walk around in, like, this green, full-on camo army gear with machine guns everywhere. Man. And so I was out of tickets, and they're serious about tickets. So this army, this army girl with her machine gun, pulled, like, stopped me, and she wants to check my ticket and i'm like i'm out of tickets i'm so sorry i'm looking where can i buy a ticket i'm all stressed out I already got myself clear out outside of paris and she she like sticks out this credit card reader and ha- makes me pay a $50 fine 50 euro fine so I'm trying to explain it to her I'm just a tourist can you please give me a break I'm lost I've had a long day and she makes me she gets on her way down she's like I'm gonna call I'm gonna call for backup if you don't pay this 50 euros right <laughs> now <laughs> and so I pay the 50 euros I'm all frustrated and I get back on the right train finally and after these four days of stress, even though it's been awesome, I just break down crying on the Metro, <laughs> like sobbing because I'm like, no, one's here. I don't know anyone, I can embarrass myself. Yeah. So I'm sobbing on the Metro, and this beautifully dressed French lady with like a blue and white scarf, red lipstick, who you, if you thought of a, a French woman, you would think of her. She comes over and she talks to me in French, I think everyone else on the metro is like crazy American. Mm-hmm. But she comes over, I'm getting off the train, she's like, are you okay? And I'm blubbering like, I don't speak French, I don't know where I'm going, I had to pay a 50 euro fine. And and she's like, oh, do you speak English? And she starts talking to me in English. And she says, I'm sorry the French people are so rude, we just get like that sometimes. She just kind of put her arm around me, and was comforting and made me feel better. And such a positive experience with these two women compared to some of the harsher experiences I've had with other French people. But that was that was a real blessing, and for her to be so kind to me and be this perfect, beautiful, classic French woman. And then, of course, I went home, bought a whole pizza from an <laughs> Italian place. And this Italian, I got it to go, I just want to go back to my Airbnb and relax. And this Italian guy comes up to me, he's like all flirty and, and buys me the pizza. <laughs> and so, Like, maybe I do like Europe. <laughs>
0: so. But, you know, I look at that because, you know, sometimes when you see people crying and you're like, uh, am I invading their privacy or whatever? But, like, you remember the details of, like, those women because they made such an impact on you that day. And so I think that's, like, a yeah. reminder, like, if you notice someone to just see how they're doing, it doesn't hurt.
1: Yeah. And this was, like, they should have called, like, they should have called, like, the mental health people because it was not just... It was sobbing and I could not stop (laughs) and didn't care because I didn't know anyone. And for her to approach me like that when I was looking half crazy, mascara running down my face was so, so nice. But, um, but yeah, I'll always remember that experience of these two very kind French women.
0: That's great. Well, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks for being my first, like, Corona chat person that I'm interviewing for Notable
1: Peeps. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me, Seth. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and and your fun personality who's always willing to do anything and everything with me.
0: Well, I always love hanging out with you. And remember, guys, to put on your shoes, do your best, and believe in the impossible. Thanks so much for pushing play and listening to this episode. For more information about today's guests or to submit a nomination for a remarkable person that you would like to hear interviewed, head on over to NotablePeeps.com. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. If you're loving listening to other people's stories here on this podcast, then maybe it's time to start recording your own. Head on over
1: to reminisceaudio.com and take the hard work out of preserving your memories.